Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Today we have a very special Give Me Some Truth with a great guest, Rod Crandall, insurance guru from U.S. Advisors Network Insurance. Uh, we also have Mitch DeWitt on the podcast and uh, video podcast, regular podcast. Once again, we've this is only the second take, so this is pretty good. I haven't had a dump out of Facebook Live yet. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're getting there and hopefully this gets better and better every single week. Hopefully the audio quality is, is good as well. And uh, Rod, thanks for joining us today. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, guys. So a little bit about yourself, Rod. I mean, Rod and I have known each other for what? Is it is it 15 years now? Yeah. It is. And May was probably 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and your role with the organization is what, Rod? Well, I'm a chief integration officer at U.S. Advisors Insurance. So Really, not only do I work directly with clients, but I help wealth advisors understand how to make thoughtful and appropriate recommendations inside of the context of their plans. And then specifically around protection, um, insurance products mostly. Um, and would you say that you place mostly permanent insurance, term insurance? What would you say your most placed product line is? Good question. I would say uh, certainly life insurance is probably 70% and long-term care probably 20% disability insurance, maybe 10%. But of the life insurance, you're probably a third permanent insurance and two thirds term insurance, probably. Most of our clients have multiple policies to address multiple needs usually. And then and that's really interesting, just from the, the breakdown there, heavy on the, the life insurance. And it seems like from my perspective, disability is something that gets overlooked a lot. So I'm just curious if you have a, a thought there on the disability side, because for young couples and, and things, it, it can be critically important part of a plan. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I outed myself right away. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, certainly for young people, as you're describing, Mitch, uh, it's really about protecting their money machine. And young people certainly have a much higher likelihood of becoming disabled than they do dying. So what I would say is, yeah, it's, it's significantly a lesser portion than it ought to be. Not that I'm ashamed, if you will, but, but clearly there's more work to be done there. Uh, I will say that many people do have uh, at least a base policy through their employer in the form of long-term disability. So often they're not entirely naked, if you will, on that basis. But Mitch, you're exactly right. I happen to believe long-term care is the single most important planning product that we have, because I do believe that most of us will have an experience of some kind. And Rod, you know, specifically to kind of, I would call it, and I, I don't know if I love the terminology of saying post-COVID because we haven't really hit post-COVID yet, but, you know, as in the context of insurers now and how things are changing, are you seeing differences in underwriting or how anything is being handled now as we've gone through this COVID period? For sure. In fact, I'm seeing a lot of things actually. Anecdotally, I'll tell you that I talked with a head underwriter maybe first week in April at one of, let's call it a top 10 life insurance firm. And these were her words almost verbatim. As I'm talking to you right now, it's 1231 Central Standard Time. And at 1235 Central Standard Time, everything could be different. And that's really striking when you think about insurance companies that are really professional risk managers and professional money managers. And how they're able to do a lot of their work is looking at the law of large numbers collecting big data and relative to COVID there really isn't enough big data 
to understand how significant it is from a mortality risk or from, from a risk of dying. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing a little bit of a lot of things, right? We represent over 50 carriers. So anecdotally, we're seeing many, if not most products repricing. Okay, so this is low interest rate environment stuff. They have to sit on reserves. In many cases, multiple billions of dollars in reserves and very low interest rate environments. Relative to COVID specifically, we see a lot of carriers either limiting or not allowing coverage for those over 60 or 70 years old. Um, so we got a reprice and we've got some conservativeness in underwriting. Now you can't always prove the conservativeness in underwriting, but you can definitely feel it, right? And that all things being equal, that one extra thing. And anyone with comorbidities, you know, like say type one diabetes, you're all but not getting coverage at this point. A lot of companies are saying, check back with us in six months. Are the actuaries taking a look at life expectancies at all? Or, I mean, it's still probably way too early to tell how COVID will play into life expectancy, for example, in the United States. But from the actuarial side, you know, how, how are their assumptions changing? Right. Well, that's kind of what I'm alluding to is that they have to be able to price risk. That's what they do. And relative to COVID, they don't have enough data to price it. So they have to sort of guess. And some of them are guessing by just increasing premiums. Others are guessing by saying, let's just hold off. We're not going to insure anyone over 60 or over 70. Let's see how this thing plays out. Right? So it's kind of to be determined. But what I do believe is if we fast forward a year from now, the product offerings that are available won't be uh, as robust or priced as well as they are today across the board. I really don't believe that. I think that the pricing today is way better than we're going to see in the near future. So for young families that need to be protected, you know, somebody's Mitch's age here, he's got a couple kids. Um, is there anything that should make him hold off on applying for life insurance now if he needs term insurance or anything like that? No, I wouldn't say so. And in fact, I would say, you know, the young, if you're young and healthy, one of the things that we're seeing in the industry is a move towards accelerated underwriting, you know, which can be a little bit of a teaser. You go, we can get you in and get you approved in a week. Can that happen? Yeah, absolutely. That can happen. Has it happened? Yes, it has. But you have one sort of issue that sort of flags up and you're out of that process. But really, Clint, the, the important part, in my opinion, is that if you're young and you have a family, very likely your largest asset is your ability to earn an income. And whether we're in, quote, COVID times or not, protecting that asset, which is going to be the asset that's going to make sure that our kids go to college and our mortgage is paid down and that we can retire, that we're really shoring that up. And that includes both disability insurance and life insurance, right? People don't need life insurance, as you know, specifically. They need to be able to have a pile of cash that can produce an income and or pay off debts, fund college accounts and the like. So, yeah, I mean, I would say I, I, you and I know each other really well. I mean, I don't like pushing clients. The only thing I ever push is don't kick this decision down the road. There's very few situations where deciding in the future to address your insurance planning is in your best interest. Because you generally don't get healthier. <laughs> You're not any healthier five years from now than you are today in all likelihood, except for you, Rod. You seem to be the exception to the rule. You do age uh, like fine wine. Well, that's because I'm jogging, you know. <laughs> well, but, and your your beard is very healthy as well. Yeah, so. that's right. Well, you know, I got, I'm, I'm putting oil in it and it's uh, it's really beautiful. I mean, who knew all the care that was? was required to get your beard looked. 
And and so Rada, you may have mentioned this actually, but you're you're more likely statistically to to use a disability policy than a life insurance policy. So could you speak to maybe the latest numbers you're seeing there as far as the the likelihoods of the odds of of actually using that disability income policy versus using a life insurance policy? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you allow me to be wrong on statistics and talk anecdotally, if you're, say, 30 years old, you have roughly four or five times more likely to become disabled during your working life at some point than a premature death. And if you think about it, this fits into the pricing of the products, right? A 30-year-old in good health can buy a million dollars of level 20 term for maybe $50 per month, like literally, maybe cheaper. So you think about it, you go, well, wait a minute, a million dollars for $50 a month, how can they do that? Well, they can do that because that 30-year-old is very likely going to be a 51-year-old and still alive, and that rate lock is now gone. So either the product's gone or they've jumped up where you have to pay maybe 10 or 20 times more. Now, conversely, if that same 30-year-old is trying to maintain, say, a $3,000 monthly benefit for long-term care, that same premium might be $100 or $150 a month right, for that same thing. Well, why is that? Well, that same 30-year-old is much more likely then to not be able to work than they are to have a premature death. And so it shows up in the pricing as well because of the likelihood. And then it varies by genders. Right? Women are more likely to become disabled and men are more likely to die prematurely. And so that shows up in the pricing as well. That's really interesting about how that pricing changes. And, you know, I, I have both disability and life insurance myself. Um, I think that it's just one of those things where if you become long-term disabled, especially, I mean, you have to have some sort of coverage on that. And, and if you're entrepreneurial at all and get a job hop at all, it's better, I think, in my opinion, to own an individual policy than to rely on a group policy there. Because, you know, if you don't have that group policy to fall back on, it, it can be a real troublesome situation, uh, particularly if you pick up some chronic things along the way. So, I mean, I think it's just in, invariably very important there. And speaking more to the post-COVID world, what have you seen, Rod, with uh, a little bit more, have you have been having more discussions on estate planning, things like that, how insurance fits into estate planning because of this? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. On the one hand, the COVID environment has sort of taken you know, I support wealth advisors primarily, you guys know that. So generally speaking, I'm either supporting a wealth advisor and being part of their process um, or being introduced directly and still part of the process. And so what I find is that with the market volatility and the like, on the one hand, there's less attention being paid. It's weird, it's kind of two things. So there's less attention, but then there's more because listen, nobody wants to talk about insurance. Nobody does, and I get that. But you're in an environment like this and you go, ah, you know what, I don't want to talk about it, but maybe I should. Right. And so that comes into we have had a lot of people that have been on the fence in the past that were engaging in conversations, not only about the risk management, but as you guys are well aware, a lot of the work that we do specifically with permanent life insurance has to do with estate planning and has to do with the very favorable tax treatment that life insurance receives. And so one of the things that I believe distinctly is that as these products reprice higher, all things being cool, that's not good. But also taxes, I believe, are going to go up pretty significantly, certainly on our wealthiest clients, which is going to make the taxable equivalent yield, if you will, of the insurance asset look that much better because taxes will likely be higher. A real good example of that that's already in a place is that SECURE Act. 
right, which requires an inherited IRA to be spent down at no longer than 10 years. Well, if I inherit it, that IRA today and I have to take it over 10 years, I'm not going to be upset that that's the case. But the fact is, is that that's going to come on top of my already earned income and I'm going to pay taxes at my highest marginal tax rate. And if I inherited those same dollars from life insurance contract, it would show up in cash with no taxation whatsoever. So it does create some interesting tax opportunities for, for planning. And the estate tax is another one. Right now, our exemption is around $11 million per person. I don't see how it could stay at that level. From what I'm seeing in the groups that I belong to, it's very likely going to be pegged back down towards three to $5 million. And that's still a significant number, but it does create additional planning opportunities that maybe haven't existed in the last, say, 10 years. I think that's a great point. And also, um, you know, when you think about who's inheriting those IRAs back to your SECURE Act, um, it's going to be baby boomers um, or their children, both of which may be in a fairly high income tax bracket during that period of time. I mean, some some boomers then, they're ending their careers here at the highest income level that they've ever earned. And then they've got to start bringing in a whole bunch of money from those inherited IRAs. So yeah, it's a huge tax problem. And I totally agree with you, Rod, that taxes are going much higher likely in, in the future, particularly if we see a wave election coming here, you're going to see a lot of the tax work that's been put into place likely undone. And it might not even make it to 2025 when everything's supposed to sunset. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're going to find out, but that's part of why I'm always asking for consideration. You know, when you bring up the topic of insurance, again, people sort of run away for a lot of good reasons. But insurance in the proper context is really just a math equation. It's just an, an asset class that has different attributes. And that consideration is, do you have any of this asset class? And if not, should you? And under what sort of design? And that's what's really interesting. And of course, they could take away some of the favorite attributes of life insurance as well. That is indeed possible. Uh, but as it stands today, it's one of the most tax-favored assets that exists out there. And, and we've got to be able to get into a meaningful conversation around that. And it's really about math. It's not about the insurance. Right? And then when you can have tax-free math, then you can accept higher fee structures. See, a big knock on insurance, which is appropriate, is that it can be expensive, especially if you're accumulating wealth. And that fee structure can be. But compared to what? And that's why I like to have that consideration as an alternative asset class or a sleeve. And we need to at least know what that sleeve looks like to be able to make a good decision. You may not want it. It may not be appropriate. But so many people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater, if you will, because they don't want to talk to the insurance guy, which I get. And they don't want to talk about the insurance topic, which I also get. And I don't want to talk to the insurance guy either. So I understand that quite well. We, we want to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So, Rod, from your perspective, have some of these maybe increased inquiries that are coming in, are they coming from people that have already done some insurance planning, but now after COVID, they just kind of want to revisit their insurance plan? Or is it something that you're seeing this kind of new uptick of maybe people that have been advised that they need life or disability income, et cetera? that all of a sudden the fear is now planted because of COVID and they're, they're jumping in for the first time? Or is it a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. I think most of it is, is new people who thought about it but didn't take action. I think that's really what I'm seeing a lot. 
But any insurance plan that's put in place, much like an investment or financial plan, really should be monitored anyhow. Generally speaking, every three years at a, ma at a maximum, in my opinion. So we're getting a little bit of both of those things. What I've started to really talk about uh, is about our clients not needing insurance. They don't need investments. What they need are answers. They need to have answers to how are they going to retire and how are their kids going to go to school? What's going to happen if they become disabled? What's their plan of care if they, if they need uh, long-term care services in some form or fashion? And so if we can continue to just try to solve those answers for our clients, then we have to consider where insurance fits in there. We don't have to use insurance, but we have to consider that because it can be a partial answer, especially when a premature death or disability occurs. There's really only one individual or entity that shows up with any cash when that happens, and that's the insurance company. All the other bills still need to be paid. And so I do think it's a very important planning topic. And for those that are listening and or watching, you might notice that Rod is big on solutions, right? And that's the reason why we like him because he's not just product-based. Hey, I got this great product, right? This this whole life policy, It's gonna, everyone needs this, this product, right? That's not the case at all. So when you're working with your insurance person, just I'd encourage you to work with someone that is very solutions-based. Let's figure out your needs. What are you actually trying to accomplish first? That just, that's so big, right? Because we see too many times insurance products being oversold. So just kind of a tangent there, but wanted to put a little nice plug there. Well, I appreciate that. And I, and I totally agree with that. And I would expand that, you know, on its face, I could effectively tell you anything, but you guys know me well and certainly Clint. I don't care about the product. And it's not because I don't care about product. I do. But I don't care about it because we have all of them. Okay. And the moment you have the best product, it's not the best product next month and it's a different product. And so the product selection is actually the very last thing that we do. And I know that's very similar to how you guys operate on the investment side. At the end of the day, you have to put the money somewhere. But that's not the tip of the sword. The tip of the sword is what are we trying to accomplish? What's our risk tolerance? What do we already understand? Right. What have we already put in place and making sure that that's all coordinated? And I think that's where I see the insurance gap is that you usually have some insurance agent who might be very aggressive and implemented something that may or may not have been appropriate, but absolutely was not coordinated with. And that's why I really enjoy working with wealth advisors, because by having that plan outlined, all I have to do is educate on what options exist share pros and cons, and then determine what we need to do given that. And then we can work for our clients. We don't have to work for the companies. Every company will pay me a commission. So I largely don't care which company that is. Now, of course, I care about how, how solid they are and all of that. But we have the best insurance companies in the industry at our disposal. Great. Well, thank you very much, Rod, for joining us today and give me some truth. I think we're going to see him... Uh, a little bit more frequently because I think there's about five more topics that I'd like to talk to you about. Um, you know, namely uh, long-term care. I'd like to spend some time on for sure. And there are certainly others. So, um, Rod, thanks for joining us. How can people get in touch with you if they would like to get in touch with you? Well, if they, if they'd like to get in touch with me, they can either call me at 847-305-0600, or they can email me at Rodney Crandall. So that's R-O-D-N-E-Y-C-R-A-N-D-A-L-L at Gmail. I'd be happy to, uh, to help anyone or answer any questions that they might have. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. We got the disclosure going out here and let's give this a shot. This is our attempt at a short plain English disclosure. 
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Connor Financial Advisors, registered investment advisor, regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. All matters to be discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Look, we weren't attorneys. We aren't tax accountants. Um, if you want to rely on that sort of advice, go to your CPA, go to your estate planning attorney, uh, go to that trusted investment professional. If you're looking at global financial advice, sit down, meet with an advisor, consider your whole financial situation, and then decide whether or not that fits your own situation. We all know that past performance is not indicative of future results. We know that any sort of performance that we talk about, any sort of charts, graphs, anything else that we bring up should not be relied on to be, first of all, uh, reliable because there could be some error in it and then also applicable to your own personal situation. So please take a step back before you listen to something and act on it and consider your own personal situation and meet with a professional where applicable. Uh, review your own investor objectives, risk tolerance, your time horizon, and we all know that all investing involves risk and possible loss of capital. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Give Me Some Truth, and we hope that you can join us on a future episode.